Welcome to another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study, a teaching podcast from Faith on Hill Church in Milwaukee, Oregon. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill. And while I start the timer, why don't you open your Bible to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 1. With 20 minutes on the clock, we are in the book of 1 Samuel. Last week, we talked about how Hannah was the first wife of Elkanah. He had two wives, Hannah and Paniah. And Hannah could not have kids while Paniah had a bunch of kids. And in her grief and her distress, she went to the tent of meeting at the time for sacrifices. And she prayed, God, give me a son and I will dedicate him to you. And the Lord heard her prayer and she went home and she became pregnant and she had a son and named him Samuel, which means God hears. So in verse 21 of chapter 1, it says, When her husband Elkna went with all of his family, family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go, and she said to her husband, After the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. So basically, they go once a year to the tent of meeting to do their sacrifices. They go home. Few weeks later, she gets pregnant, nine months, she gives birth, and the baby's a couple months old, you know, somewhere in there. And she says, I'm not going this time. I'm going to give him to the Lord. So he, Elkna knows what's going on, but she says, until he's weaned, until, until he's done breastfeeding. And so she keeps the child for a few years uh, and doesn't go. And when it's time, then she will. Verse 23. Do what seems best to you, her husband Elkna told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until he was weaned. And after he was weaned, she took the boy, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephod of flour, a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And when the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live. I am the woman who stood here before you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child and the Lord granted me what I asked of him. And now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord and he worshiped the Lord there. So Hannah's saying, hey, I know you see hundreds, thousands of people every year. You know, different people come from all over the country to do their sacrifices here at the tent of meeting. And I, I don't know if you remember me, but a few years ago I was here. I was weeping. You thought I was drunk. Turns out I was just praying and I was asking God to give me a son and he has and I am brought him here. So it's kind of like tithing. Uh, she, she's given her son into God's service. Uh, he was an Ephraimite. He was not supposed to be a priest but he was being adopted into Eli's family so that he could serve in the house of the Lord. And then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. Who were her enemies? Well, the beginning of chapter 1 told us that her adversary, her tormentor, was her other, the other wife in the relationship, Paniah. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speech speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken, or the bows of the warriors are broken, and those who stumble with arms 
those who stumble are armed with strength. Those who are high on themselves, uh, those who, excuse me, verse five, those who were full higher, higher, uh, those who were full hire themselves out for food. I don't know why that was so hard for me to read. Those who were full, so they've, they've had enough to eat, now hire themselves out for food, but those who were hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven children. She who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive, and he brings down the, to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash, he, the ash heap. He seats them with the princes and has them inherit the throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world, and he will guard his guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth, and he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, but the boy ministered before the Lord under the Eli the priest. So Hannah starts off with this veiled, I would say thinly veiled, jab at Paniah, who for years has belittled her, has tormented her, has emotionally attacked her and abused her. And she's saying, the strong have been broken and the weak have been exalted. And then she she gets out of that and she gets into the bigger picture. And she talks about those who are against God. And, and she says they're not without strength. They're strong. They're well-armed. They're well-funded. And yet they will be broken and they will be brought down. And those who sit on the dust heap, he will seat with princes. Those who are out on skid row will be exalted. It's actually an interesting thing when it comes to prayer. One of the things about prayer is that I think sometimes I don't pray long enough. And here's the reason I'm saying that. Because my prayer might start off petty. And let's be honest, when you read the beginning of her prayer, it starts off personal. And I'm, I'm not in her shoes. I'm not in her position. I'm not interested in judging her. I'm very understanding about why she's praying what she's praying. But I have found in my own life that when I pray longer, I get past myself. And I get past the pettiness of my prayers. And I get past the momentariness of my prayers. And I get to the bigger picture and recognize the bigger truths of God. And after she gets past her own situation, verse 6, she gets to the big picture that God will exalt. God will raise up. Remember that the people of Israel at this point, they were not free and clear of their oppression. They were not living in peace and safety and security. They were not the well-armed or well-funded. That was their neighboring nations who were at enmity with them. And she begins to speak of bigger things, about the Lord prevailing, about God giving strength to his king, even though there was no king yet in Israel. Her son Samuel will anoint two kings. And that second king from his line will come the true king, Jesus. The longer we pray, the more we get past ourselves, and the more we start to see the big picture. 
Prayer is not about getting God to do what you want him to do. Prayer is about getting my heart and your heart aligned with what God is already doing. God cares about our needs, absolutely. God cares about what's going on, but I think there is something to that if we just prayed a little longer. So they went home, but the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. Elkanah had to be part of this too. The, the wife in that culture, even in our culture, you don't just get to give a child away. That's a group decision. Yet Elkanah was submitted to God. God was doing a work in his life. So he's there ministering with Eli the high priest who is old. His adult sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are doing the actual work of being the priest. But verse 12 tells us that Eli's sons were scoundrels. We don't have enough good words like that in English anymore. They were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. Now it was the practice of the priest that whenever any of the people offered a sacrifice, the priest servant would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand while the meat was being boiled, and they would plunge the fork into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and whatever the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is how they treated all the Israelites when they came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned, the priest would come and say to the person who was sacrificing, uh, the priest-servant would come and say to the person who was sacrificing, Give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the person said to him, Let the fat be f- burned first and then take whatever you want, the servant would answer, No, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. This sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offerings with contempt. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. And each year his mother would make him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkna and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. Then they would go home, and the Lord was gracious to Hannah, and she gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. So this is kind of giving us a picture of what's happening in the life of, of Samuel as he's growing up. The adult sons of Eli, the priests, were wicked men. And instead of taking the provision of food that God had established in the law, you might remember that when we studied Exodus, that God established in the law that the priests could take some of the food from the sacrifice for themselves to provide for them because they were doing the the Lord's work. But what they were doing was they were going and saying, hey, give us that before it's been sacrificed. We want the best cut. We want to make sure that we have first dibs, and if you don't, we'll take it by force. And there are are people who still to this day live in the provision of God. I'm one of them. I I pay my bills as the Lord sees fit to provide provision for me and my family. I'm not getting rich. And there's this whole thing about pastors who get rich. Let me tell you this. That's not even 1% of all pastors in America. It's like, it's, it's, it's a fraction, it's a, a, a fractional percentage of a percentage. But it does happen. And that shouldn't be. That, you know, I don't think the pastor should live in poverty. I also don't think the pastor should be living high on the hog, you know, from the church. I, I've known some pastors who, you know, had money, but it was because, um, 
you know, they had had a business before they were called into the ministry or they got some inheritance and they had a house. So they lived rent free in a house. Like there were things going on, extenuating circumstances. Um, but, but even then they kind of lived in, in a humble way. And so what's going on here is that they were, they were using the position that they had been given to benefit themselves instead of benefiting others. But then there's Samuel, and that's the contrast. Samuel's just going and doing the, the menial work. He's serving the Lord. He's just doing the things that he's supposed to do. Sometimes you can look around and you could say, this person seems like they're getting ahead, and I'm just doing what I think God wants me to do. And over the short term, it might look like they're getting ahead, and I have found that I'm, I'm starting to have lived long enough now to have seen where these people flame out. And the Lord isn't mocked and he deals with them and you just keep on doing the right thing before God. Verse 22 says, Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing in all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And so he said to them, Why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, the reports I hear spreading among the Lord's people is not good. If one person sins against another, God may mediate for the offender. But if anyone sins against the Lord, who will intercede for them? His sons, however, did not listen to their father, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and favor with the Lord and with the people. So there's a contrast being made between Samuel and the sons of Eli. Now, a few things here we find out about the sons. First, we find out that the sons are stealing. It's essentially like they're embezzling. They're taking money, except that it wasn't money. It was, it was food and provisions. And then we find out that they're sleeping around, that they are, um, there's uh, women who were helping to take care of the tabernacle, and they were just sleeping with all of them. And so we find these people who were living double lives, living lives that they weren't supposed to live. I'm not shocked when humans sin. We, we sh- I mean, honestly, people are people are people. So when I hear, when I hear that some well-known preacher uh, or, or some influential Christian has fallen into sin, I, I'm not surprised. I grieve. I pray for them and their families, but I'm not surprised. Oftentimes, I've found that the bigger issue is the people that allow it. The people that allow it. The people that allow the situation to continue. That's the bigger issue. So, Hophni and Phineas were doing these things, but no one was stepping in to stop it. And finally, when their father Eli steps in and says something to them, he's not in a position to do anything about it. It's too late. Maybe you know it's time to speak into somebody's life, but the relationship has been so damaged that they will not listen to you. Maybe you know, hey, this isn't good, but by the time it it comes to a head, you don't have the, the authority to do anything about it. It's a tragic thing. Now, it says that they wouldn't listen because the Lord's will was to put them to death. Would they have listened before? We don't know. 
But there did come a point, there did come a point where God said, all right, your will, Hophni and Phinehas, your desire is to be against God. All right, God says, I will give you the desires of your heart. Everybody's like, Lord, give me, give me, answer my prayer. Give me the desires of my heart. Be careful what you pray for, because what if the desires of your heart are wicked? And God says, yeah, I'll give you over to that. And so there came a point where God said, no more. I believe that Jesus can reach any person to the point of their death. I'm thankful for the the story of the thief on the cross who had done nothing good in his whole life, nothing deserving of salvation, but he said, Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus looked at him and said, today you will be with me in paradise because of the faith that he had in Jesus. I'm so thankful for that story. You know, I'm thankful for people that, that have come to faith just in the last days or even moments of their life. But this is a warning to not bank on that. Because I've also met people who I think made a choice a long time ago. And even though they lived another 10 or 20 or 30 years, it may have been too late for them even before death. And I don't want to build a theology on that. I'm not trying to put a doctrinal statement. I'm just experientially saying I've seen this played out, what we are reading here. That it was too late for Hophni and Phinehas because they had moved on. And they had committed themselves to their wickedness. And it was seemingly irrevocable. They couldn't turn around. I'd rather be Samuel, just growing in stature and favor with the Lord and the people by doing what is right. Now, a man of God, we don't know who. There's no name given for this prophet. But it was apparently somebody who Eli would listen to. A man of God came to Eli and said to him, This is what the Lord says. Do, did I not clearly reveal myself to your ancestors' family when they were in Egypt under Pharaoh? I chose your ancestors out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, and to wear my ephod in my presence. I also gave your ancestors' family all the food offerings presented to the Israelites, or by the Israelites. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offerings that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of the every offering made by the people of Israel? So God's saying, hey, why are you putting your sons above me? Eli spoke to them, but it was too little, too late. And he was eating the food that they were stealing. He wasn't stealing it, but he was profiting off of it. Oh, I didn't do it. It was them. Yeah, but I'm benefiting from it. And there are, I'm going to say this, as somebody who did youth ministry for a long time, there are a lot of parents and grandparents who honor their children and grandchildren above the Lord. Now, we talked a couple Sundays ago, we talked about trying to figure out how to do the right thing the right way because we knew how to do the right thing the right way in a previous era, but now we're in this new situation as society and culture have changed, and we're just trying to figure it out. That being said, I I really do believe that there are are people who have said, you know what, I know this is what God says, but I value my children more than I value God. I value my grandchildren more than I value God. And therefore, I will just affirm them no matter what they're doing, no matter what they're up to. There's a difference between loving and affirming. Those are two different things. 
Therefore, the Lord God of Israel declares, I promised that members of your family would minister before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me, I will disdain. The time is coming when I will cut short your strength and the strength of your priestly house so that no one in it will reach an old age and you will see distress in my dwellings. Although good will be done to Israel, no one in your family line will ever reach old age. Everyone of you that I do not cut off from serving at my altar, I will spare only to destroy your sight and sap the strength and all your descendants will die in the prime of life. And this is what happened to your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, will be assigned to you. They will both die on the same day. But I will raise for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and mind, and I will firmly establish his priestly house, and they will minister before my anointed one always. Then everyone left in your family line will come and bow down before him for a piece of silver and a loaf of bread and a plea. Appoint me some priestly office so I can have food to eat. We're at the end of our time here, but I'll say this. God is giving the priestly house to another Levite in the short term. But in the long term, he's talking about Jesus Christ, our high priest, who has paid the penalty for our sins, who goes before God the Father and says, these women and men who have placed their faith in me, they are mine and they are forgiven and they are right and righteous. And I'm thankful that we don't have to rely on human high priests anymore, that we rely on our great and glorious high priest, Jesus Christ. We'll see you again next time for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study. Audio versions are available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You just have to search Faith on Hill. Video versions are always available on our Facebook page, as well as all of the other content that we put out, both audio and video. My name's Adam. You can email me, adam, at faithonhill.com, and we'll see you next time for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study.